Hello and welcome to Concert Pipeline. That's Jen Schiphol. And that is Steve Jones. And today on the program we have a fun episode. We have a legend of sorts in the blues and rock world. And uh, we'll, uh, should, we, should we say who that is? Yeah, or at least give a hint. Oh gosh, okay. Someone from Fleetwood Mac is on the there, show. There we go, blast from the past. There you go. There's the hint. Okay, we'll we'll say it. Uh, yeah, it is Rick Vito. Uh, he was in Fleetwood Mac for four years, and he's done numerous other things, worked with a lot of other people, and um, and is right now in the uh, Mick, uh, Fleetwood Blues Band and playing with them. They just came through the Bay Area, did a couple of shows in Napa at the Uptown Theater and in San Francisco at the Regency, uh, and got a chance to talk to him. So we'll be bringing him in in just a little bit. Um, nice, nice. Now the Uptown, we've been there before, we have. right? We so have. that's a familiar venue. Yes, yes, that is where they do the Live in the Vineyard uh, shows. And um, and Live in the Vineyard is actually coming up again because they do it twice a year. And uh, and they've announced the, uh, the artists that are playing Live in the Vineyard uh, this year. You interested in uh, knowing who's playing Live in the Vineyard? I was just going to ask you. Okay. Well, who's playing? Ooh. Okay. Well, so the the lineup for this year's uh, live in the vineyard is okay. So the uh, the the artists who are going to be playing are um, OAR, Mike Posner, Philip Phillips, uh, and Blue October. Um, there's other artists as as well. Johnny Swim, Walking on Cars, The Rua. Uh, and Callum Scott. So some some artists who I hadn't heard of, but uh, I'm familiar with um, OAR, Blue October, that sort of thing. Not uh, super crazy on the lineup compared to other uh, other times that we've covered live in the vineyard, but, uh, but might c- uh, cover it anyway. So that's in November. Uh, we'll see if that come, uh, comes through or not. Sounds good. Yeah, I remember Philip Phillips from uh, American Idol. Um, I didn't watch that show, you know, religiously or anything, but that was a season that I did uh, catch on to a little bit off and on just because my wife was kind of obsessed with it. So I had one ear open. I remember uh, his music style and his, um, you know, his voice. Um, and uh, it'll be good. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure he's a, he's a, he's a uh, you know, one of those performers that delivers well live. So it'll be good to hear him. Yeah, yeah, no, uh, that, that'd be cool. So we'll uh, we'll try and cover it, um, see if that's something we can do this year or, or this time or not. Again, they do it two times in uh, November and in April. Um, really cool event, big artists in an in- intimate venue, uh, playing broken down sets, um, mostly acoustic, and uh, uh, a lot of fun. So um, more to come on that. First off, Jens, how can people get a hold of us? Well, uh, there's this thing called the Internet. <clears throat> Whoa, whoa, and, whoa, whoa. Uh, you're, you're just kind of grazing over that. What is this internet you speak of? Yeah, I know. Well, it's, you know, people tell me about it. And, uh, you know, it's every time, every now and then when I happen to, you know, behind, uh, be behind an internet-capable device, I'll type in stuff like Concert Pipeline. And I get these great links, you know, like Concert Pipeline is available on Facebook. At facebook.com forward slash Concert Pipeline pod. And uh, iTunes, of course. Of course, you're subscribed course. to it right now, right? So exactly, right, right, right. And we've got uh, Periscope stuff every now and then. Uh, definitely check us out on Twitter and Instagram. You know the handle for that, right? 
I know you do. Gosh, it's just at Concert Pipeline. How is that so tough? We do this every episode. It's I make it so easy. And <laughs> I, I, I just like it when you when you cringe, and, uh-huh. you know, uh, and then you know, and then I make you say it. So. it is that it? Okay, that's it. That's it. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. So <laughs> anyway, we're all over the internet. Check us out. Um, tell your friends about us. Get the word out there. Good deal. Yeah. So, uh, so first off, we want to talk. Uh, we have a couple of things that we want, we're going to bring up here. Yes. First off, uh, the uh, the issue at hand. You had a twenty year reunion uh, this past weekend for grad school. Did you? I not? did. I did. It was kind of a bizarre experience. Um, so two of my good friends organized this whole reunion thing, um, and we all started in the same year together. Um. And you think 20 years is a really long time, right? I do think 20 years is a long time. Yes. I mean, it is a long time. You know, it is a long time. If you, if you compare that to, you know, being married for 20 years, oh, oh, you have oh. a newborn child and all of a sudden they're 20, you know, it's like, that's a really long time. But what's, you know, so interesting about it is when I uh, went to the reunion, I didn't go to the whole thing. It was like this three-day-long almost retreat uh, would be a good way to, to describe it. Um, I went to one of the events on the three days and, you know, there I was with a group of, you know, really familiar people. It's been, um, some of them I've seen, you know, within those 20 years, but you know, some, some I haven't, but as a whole, I was, you know, sitting there chatting and it felt like not a single day had gone by. I mean, it felt like we were, I don't know, we had just met up at a conference or we had just, you know, uh, it was a weekend or something and we were all hanging out together and we, you know, we're talking about a, a class. We had all been together on Friday or, or whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, all of a sudden it was like no time had gone by. And for those of you who have, that have had that experience, it's so bizarre. And these you are know, people you haven't seen, you haven't seen years. since then, right? Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Some of those people, most of those people I haven't seen. Yeah, yeah, in like 20 years. It's like weird. It's like, and, and we all look the same. I mean, a little bit older, but it's not like we were all like... 20 years, ah, give or take. So. over a wheelchair, you know. Uh-huh. <laughs> right. you, did, you bring, did you bring your yoga ball? I did not, oh, no, okay. but I seriously thought about bringing my... Um, I have two wonderful things that, you know, help me out with my aging back. Um, one is that gi- ginormous purple yoga ball. The other one is a foam roller. Have you ever seen those things? I don't know if I have. Describe it for me. A foam roller is like a big Nerf tube, like one of those tubes that you hit people with, you know. Uh-huh. <laughs> Except it's 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 not as long. It's like okay. it's it's, a, it's about as long as your back, like from your butt to your neck. But it's really thick. It's like as thick as a football. Um, so what you're supposed to do is lie, put it on the ground, you lie on it, um, facing the ceiling, and then you just kind of roll back and forth so the thing rolls along your spine, and it's supposed to, um, you know, ease the the tension and the stress or whatever. And Does- I don't want to say. Straighten out your spine, but it feels really good after rolling on that thing for five or ten minutes. Does it ease the tension and the stress, Jens? It does. Yes. Oh, good. It does significantly so, but it's not as much fun as like lying face down on a big purple ball, and that's the ultimate. Yes. The ultimate experience. So, so back to your twenty-year reunion again. That doesn't come around every day. So we're going to talk about it a little bit more. I'm going to. You know, n- drill us into the ground a little bit. Oh, right? no, you're going to embarrass me. This, all right, fine. This event was planned for three days, Jen. So t- tell me, did you attend all three days' uh, worth of events? I didn't. You know, um, when 
the when the news came out that we were going to have a reunion, you know, the first thing I thought was, oh wow, it's time for a reunion already. You know, what is it, our ten year or something? And then I started realizing, oh my god, it's been twenty years uh-huh. since I've seen these guys. And um, and you know, you figure it's a reunion. It's going to be at some. It's going to be at some you know event place, and you you know hang out, and meet and greet, and have dinner or whatever, and then it's done. But this was like a three day thing. So it was Friday night, and then it was Saturday afternoon, and it was Saturday night, and then it was Sunday. And I decided, you know what? Graduate school gave me so much PTSD. Mm-hmm. There was there's no possible way I could go to all of this stuff and not like have a panic attack or something, right? Yeah. I didn't want to have all these flashbacks of. Ah, you know, the oral exams and the written exams and all the presentations we had to do and the assessments we had to do and, 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 and you know, oh my God. So, um, and it's not to say I don't love these people. It's just like, okay, graduate school is not a good experience for me. Yeah. <laughs> back to the foam roller thing. You know, I wish I had the foam roller back then. Could have relieved a lot of the academic stress and stuff. But um, but yeah, I was like, no way I'm going to do three days of this stuff. So I picked the most exciting event for me, which was wine tasting. Hey, let's go. We're going to go to Napa. We're going to go have you know, lunch someplace by the river. Um, and here I am, you know, having lunch with, with my old buddies at the river and I'm imagining, imagining Steve Jones and his kids and his dog, you know, bicycling back and forth along the river. <laughs> You're imagining my dog bicycling, are you? <laughs> your dog bicycling. I do. Yes. I'm, you, your dog is talented. Um, you know, you've told me that your dog does all sorts of, you know, talented things yes. inside and outside of the house. Um, so I can imagine your dog bicycling. So, so where do you have lunch? Where, where did you eat? Um, at the general store. Okay, is that what it's called? Okay. Yeah, the new kind of yeah, yeah. area of Napa there. Yep, on the riverfront. Yeah, gotcha. and, and last time uh, riverfront, right? Last time I was there, that whole thing was still under construction. Yeah. So I mean, that was a long time ago. Um, so it was. It's nice. I mean, it looks all done. They've kind of re re. I don't want to say rerouted the river, but they did a lot of river work in terms of how the river kind of flows around the. Waterfront there. It and, doesn't uh, really flow as much because it doesn't really have any water in it. But yeah, <laughs> but if it did, you could imagine how it would flow. <laughs> yeah, right. Yes. Yeah, it did seem a little uh, lame in terms of <laughs> a river. But there were people making the best out of it. Uh-huh. I mean, there were canoes. Walking their canoes down the walking river. Walking yes. canoes, right? <laughs> or their kayaks or whatever they uh-huh. were. Yes. Yeah. yeah. The weather was great. It was supposed to rain that day. Um, but the weather ended up being beautiful and... Um, and so I figured, yeah, why not? I mean, if I'm going to go to one of these events, which I should do, I'm going to go to the most exciting one, which, of yes. course, for me, you know, isn't dinner Friday night at some random restaurant, but it's going to be, you know, hey, out in the sunshine yes. during the day. And there, and there was a picture that I saw posted on uh, on a social media website that you were tagged in that it's a picture from 20 years ago, and it's the whole group. And then there's a picture afterwards uh, from right now with the whole group missing one person. Me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, maybe he took the picture, but that does, why would he? There you go. Yeah, I'll yeah. go with that. I'll go with that. I took the picture. Somebody had to take the picture, so right. hey, the tall guy gets to take the picture. So You missed out on that I, recreation. I you ruined the recreation yeah. picture. You know, that's interesting because the, those recreation photos were definitely a theme. Uh-huh. Uh, and there were several people that wanted to recreate certain photos um uh you know 20 years later yeah. and um you know one of the reasons for that is not just because you know um it would be fun to recreate a group photo like that but a lot of us were roommates back then 
Yeah. Um, so it's like, oh, let's re- recreate a roomy photo. You know, let's go back to our old apartment or something and recreate that roomy photo in front of the building and that kind of thing. Uh-huh. So there were a lot of people that you know made the effort to do that. Not you, uh, which was fun, but not me. No. So, <laughs> yeah, the original um, photo was taken. I don't know some person's apartment or something. I don't remember. Yeah. But um, that happened Friday night. So I, you know, it was a spontaneous thing that they did. It wasn't planned. Had I known you had left after they were going to do lunch, that, yeah. then maybe I would have shown up. Maybe I would have made an extra effort, but probably not. I uh-huh. probably would have just encouraged everybody to um, do wine tasting on, yeah. s- on Saturday instead, because that's a lot more fun yeah. than going to some random lame Mexican restaurant. But um, whatever. Uh, I'm, blaming, I'm blaming it on them for not going to the right event. So right. anyway, they're all encouraging me to uh, to brush up on my Photoshop skills so that I can put myself in, insert myself into that into that photo. I mean, so, I, mean I can do that for you. Very would you? Very yeah, easily. It's probably never going to happen for yeah. me. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll do yeah, it. Just da- download it off Facebook and put me in there. Uh, I'll get you right in there. It'll be great. <laughs> You'll fit right in. <laughs> just make wait. it obvious that you know I wasn't in there originally. Like. Make my head the the jib jab head, you know, one of these uh-huh. yeah, yeah, bobble okay. heads or okay. something, right? I, I don't do animation, but I can get you in that photo. You just okay, all right, yeah. get me in that photo. Any any way that works, uh-huh. it'll happen. Yeah, Watch. yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. So I don't know. So before before we know it, I'll probably be talking about the forty year anniversary, uh-huh. and I'll be you know probably uh, not in that photo for the second time, and I'll be saying about how quickly forty years goes by and how it seems like it was just yesterday that. Reunion. Yes. Well, that's fun. Uh, we'd also talked about possibly going to Hardly Strictly Bluegrass Festival this, uh, this, this Yes, weekend. exactly. That was all weekend long, right? It's, yeah, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, three-day festival in San Francisco that's free. You don't get a lot of that, uh, that sort of thing. I mean, it's really cool, and there's some good artists that, uh, that played, um, namely... Um, well, Doobie Decibel System and Moon Alice played on Saturday. That would, would have been cool to see. They, um, we interviewed them. They'd been on the podcast a couple of times, um, 2014. Uh, and, uh, but Sunday was the day that I, well, it was the day that I wanted to go. Um, I wanted to see, uh, Cake and, uh, and Dropkick Murphys and some of the other artists and, uh, and that sort of thing. And so I was... I was back and forth and I was on the fence and I was like, okay, just, you know, I'm going to, I'll just do it. But then I, I ended up not going, uh, because I talked myself out of it. I was like, okay, well getting to San Francisco, I'll go to San Francisco for a show, but getting to Golden Gate Park would be a pain. I'm not going to drive around there. It's going to be nuts. There's six stages and, uh, I mean, pe- so many people not going to find parking. So I'd have to take public transportation in and then figure out, you know, public transportation, getting out and back and everything. And I just decided, okay, just take it easy. I'm already got a big trip planned and you know, this, this week, and I'm just going to sit this one out and, uh, not see cake, which I would have liked to have seen, but, um, but I watched part of their performance online last night, and um, it didn't super impress me. So I mean, it, yeah, yeah. yeah I've, got to, I've got to say, I saw some of the. Um, well, our our friend uh, Tony was there, so I got mm-hmm. some sort of live, um, you know, kind of footage from his perspective, and he got some pretty good shots. Um, he wasn't too far away from the stage, but I've got to say, I mean, I didn't think the the performances were that great. I'm like, what, yeah. what are they doing? And you know, it's the sound. Did they yeah. not do a sound check or are they just really bad yeah. you know, today or, or what? So I didn't feel, I mean, it would have been great. Bottom line is it would have been yeah. great to have gone anyway, but 
um, I was expecting a better performance from them. Uh, plus, I uh, had some conflicts, so I didn't go for a couple of reasons. One, uh, same reason that you described. Um, one thing I can't stand is you know dealing with uh, tons of traffic. I was thinking about taking the motorcycle in, so I don't have to deal with parking. Yeah. But I don't know if I told you this. I um, my uh, bike needed an oil change, so I figured, hey, I'll just bring it in. I'll wait an hour or two for them to you know uh, do that. And then, um, you know, I'll be done. But it ended up that the whole front end needed to be kind of reserviced. So mm. I needed new disc brakes. I needed the, the forks needed to be taken apart and kind of rebuilt. And the whole bill was like $1,100. Ooh, yeah. that's Yeah. It's like another reason not to have a motorcycle. They are expensive uh, to maintain. I'm telling and you. Yeah, yeah that's, I've had a couple of bikes, but that was the first time I've ever had an expense like that. And I guess that's just something you have to do every three or four years or something. So I guess I'm just lucky that I've never had to do that before. But anyway, so I didn't have the bike all weekend. Plus, I had the reunion, and um, I'm in the middle of landscaping uh, the, the backyard with my wife. So we were tree shopping, you know, for, for half the day. Yeah. So I missed out, but I always say next time around, I'll see if we can make it happen you always say that and yet it didn't really flow out of your mouth that easily no, it, right it was kind of hard to say that next time around like, uh, well, maybe not maybe right. not the same excuse next time to make it happen right uh, or not, or I, I do know something that we should try to make happen and that is that we should bring rick Vito on uh in on the podcast what do you think it's about time to do that. It is. Okay, Let's. here's my chat with Rick Vito. Again, he was in Fleetwood Mac, uh, right, right now uh, touring with the Mick Fleetwood Blues Band. Here it is. Hey, this is Steve Jones. Steve, Rick Vito here. Hey, Rick, how are you doing? Good. Hey, nice to... I was en route to the uh, venue. I uh, uh, couldn't take your call. Actually, I didn't even hear it, don't you? No worries, no worries. So you just got to uh, the uh, um, the uh, the venue in San Francisco. Yeah. So um, where where were you coming from uh, before this show? Oh, not far away, Napa. Oh, you were you were in Napa? Yeah. No, we were last night. Oh, okay. I'm uh, I'm based out of Napa, so we should have just said something up last night. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. We were at the Uptown last night. Oh, I didn't even know that. That's that, that's so funny. Okay, how was the show at, yeah. uh, at the Uptown? Oh, it was one of our best. Oh, that that's really good one. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Did you get to do anything in Napa while you were in town? Uh, no, because uh, we uh, just didn't really have too much time. For instance, tonight, you know, we'll finish the show. We got a eight hundred mile trip to make through the night in the bus up to Spokane so you know there's not often too much time to see the sights or anything yeah um so uh, you're with the Mick Fleetwood Blues Band of course um so tell me a little bit about the show that you, you guys are doing and uh, and what you have planned well the show that we do is a mix of the original uh Peter Green era songs that we've chosen and new things that I've come up with uh and um, the blend is, a, you know, it's, if you know the original Fleetwood Mac material, it's kind of blues and bluesy rock, uh, blues rock or whatever, you, you know, for lack of a better label. 
And so the stuff that I write and find uh, are very compatible with that style. So uh, that's what we do. We try to vary our tempos, get a lot of different uh, feels and and types of songs that are unique and don't sound like your average uh, boring blues band. Right. Uh, so uh, one song I know you guys uh, do on the um, on the album that you guys put out is uh, Rattlesnake, uh, Rattlesnake Shake, and uh, you've uh, you did your own solo album with that as well, and it, um, it obviously stems yeah. back to Fleetwood. Tell me a little bit about um, your connection with that song. That particular song. Yeah. Well, uh, I don't know that there's a real strong connection for it. It, it just. Um, it's just one of the ones that we chose to do. Uh, when I was in Fleet with Mac in uh, 87, in 91, it was one of the ones we played in the show for a while. And, uh, you know, keeps uh, keeps rearing its head. Sometimes we do it, sometimes we don't. We actually aren't doing it on this tour. We substituted something else for it. Oh, okay, okay. Um, so um, you, meant, you mentioned Fleetwood Mac, of course. Um, you, you joined the, uh, Fleetwood Mac back in 87, but your first time seeing Fleetwood Mac live was in 1968, right? That's right, yeah. Uh, tell me what you remember from, uh, from your first time seeing the band live, and could you ever have envisioned that you'd have the opportunity to play with, uh, with them years later? Well, the first part of the question is my impression was um, I had, in that particular era i was going to see all the happening guitar oriented artists and groups like you know i saw hendrix and that blew me away and then i followed up and saw the cream and jeff Beck group and 10 years after etc 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 and uh when i saw fleetwood mac it, it made a dis- a different kind of distinct impression on me in that they were doing much more of a traditional blues format, you know, with the with the interspersing of, of teams like Black Magic Woman, of course, which is a little bit of stretch from the original from your traditional three chord, twelve bar blues, etc. But just the authenticity with which they played and uh, and the impressive nature of uh, Peter Green as a, as both a guitarist and a band leader. It was just, uh, it, to me, it, uh, with the possible exception of seeing Jimi Hendrix, it was the strongest thing I, I'd seen, in my opinion. And uh, so it, it was really very ins- inspiring. In fact, I went back the second night, and for some reason, there was hardly anybody there. You know, what Mac wasn't really known at that point. Yeah. And... Um, they weren't playing with much passion, and we were invited to stay for the second show. And I guess they must have passed the bottle around or something, or just you know that thing that happens when you're on the road. You yeah. Get giddy. And it turned out to be the funniest show I I I just couldn't imagine uh, that any any band could could get that loose on stage and just have such a great time and be completely irreverent in every which way. Yeah. The music became secondary to the personality of the band. So that really endeared them to me to see both sides of the group. That's really cool. And, I, and the second part of your question, no, I never would have imagined that I'd ever get to play with them. Um, you know, I, I ran into Nick, you know, a couple of years after that, met him in 
New York City, and I'd run to him or somebody from the group occasionally living in Los Angeles. I kind of thought they were done, and then, uh, and then you know, when Peter Green left, it was over for me. I, I, I was only interested in with Peter in the group, not Bob Welsh or Danny Kerwan. That didn't interest me in the same way, although I respected them, you know. Uh, of course, they then they hit it mega big in the, in the mid '70s, and that was a completely different band, completely different kind of music. I never would imagine I played with them. Yeah. So you you mentioned also uh, seeing Hendrix live and that being really influential to you. Tell me a little bit about that experience. Well, it it uh, saw him actually the first time I saw him. I did, you know he wasn't famous yet. And I didn't realize it until years later that it was him, but I saw him play with Little Richard in 1965. And uh, the only thing I remember about that was it was, it was a tall, skinny uh, guy playing uh, playing the guitar that he just flipped over left-handed. And, uh, you know, it was, it was really cool, you know, but uh, he wasn't playing like the wild style with Little Richard at that point. Yeah. But uh, then I saw him after the first record came out uh, in Philadelphia, and uh, yeah, he was—he was just the combination of his rhythm and his songs and his, you know, groundbreaking sound and technique was just overpowering. He was just—you know—there was nobody who could touch him at that point in time. He just was so new, so different, so impressive that uh, you know. It blew my mind, it really did. And I got to see him about two or three months again after that, maybe March of 2000, coming of uh, 1968. And again, just by the end, he built his show in such a way that it started off kind of mellow and, and you'd go through the tunes. And by the end of the show, it was just frenzy and uh, a mind blow at those times. Even the only bad experience about both shows was that I had to sit through the soft machine waiting for him to get on stage. Oh, really? And you mentioned not knowing him. I mean, it sounds like even, you know, before he was famous, I mean, you, you kind of could tell he's, you're in the, the presence of greatness, right? Yes, you could. Absolutely. It was overwhelming. Uh, that's that's really cool. So so going back to your kind of youth and when you started um, in in music, it um, you music was really in in your blood. It was in your family, right? Well, uh, my mother, you know, played the Hawaiian guitar a little bit when she was a girl, but that's the only sort of far away link to music. The rest of my family was not musical. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I remember reading about the guitars. So she gave you that uh, that Hawaiian guitar um, when you were young, and um, and and that kind of spawned yeah, it for you. Just around the house, you know, it was an old Oahu acoustic uh, lap guitar, uh, and uh, just used to. You couldn't press the strings down on it; it was too high. You know, it wasn't it wasn't the same kind of guitar that Elvis was playing. You know, I knew that much. I was just a little kid, you know, but they got me. Uh, they saw that I liked playing it, and then I was really interested in music, so they got me lessons, a little, a little Stella guitar to learn on. Yeah, and um, and Elvis was really a big influence for uh, for you as a kid, right? I mean, you see the King and, and you know, and that kind of his moves and how he presents himself on stage, and you, uh, and that kind of drew you in, right? Yeah, Elvis was overwhelmingly popular. It was amazing. 
uh, it's really the beginning, beginning of white people uh, truly, you know, expressing themselves in a little more uh, rhythmic fashion. I don't know, maybe I'm wrong about that, but it was, it was real cool. And, uh, it was definitely geared towards kids. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so the the first concert that your mom took you to was was the Everly Brothers, and uh, so tell me yeah. tell me a little bit about that impact that uh, that they had in uh, on you as well. Well, we had all the records, you know. Uh, my mom liked the records like Wake Up Little Susie and all those. So uh, the first thing, I mean, the main thing I I remember about it was that it was you know the first experience hearing anything that loud. And, you know, by today's standards, it was probably pretty soft. But, you know, in those days, it was, you know, loud. It was a cool lead guitar guy jumping all over the stage. And hearing that music live was just uh, a mind blower, you know, for like an eight-year-old kid or whatever I was. Yeah. So... Um, so you, um, you've actually, uh, I read that your, your prize guitar is a 1958 Sunburst Les Paul, right? Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so uh, tell me. I've t- had a few Sunburst Les Pauls, but, uh, that was always the one that everybody wanted growing up, you know, uh, uh Clapton had one, but for me, the, the guy was Mike Bloomfield and he first had a gold top and then he switched to a Sunburst and then. You know, Keith Richards had a sunburst, and then Jeff Beck. You know, and it's just the you know, it was the first time. The first guitar that everybody wanted was a was a blonde neck Telecaster. That's what that's what the, the first sought after electric guitar was, and then then the Les Pauls got real real popular. So yeah, I always wanted one, and I had a succession of ones that were nice guitars, real clean. And this was back when they were semi affordable. You know, if you were working. Uh, you could afford one, and I finally got one that, that really, really uh, spoke to me, and I, I kept that one. So that's the one I own today, '58. And so you've had a lot of other guitars come and go, but if, is it, it so? It's kind of the longevity that you've had that so long that it's kind of that uh, so priceless to you. Yeah, yeah, that would be the one I'd uh, never want to give up. Yeah. So um, talk to me about designing guitars of your own, because you have your own uh, line of guitars as well. Uh, well, that sort of came out of uh, being the type of person that just, you know, couldn't pay attention in certain classes in school, so you know, always drawing guitars in my school books. And finally, around 85, 86, I started uh, drawing guitars that uh, had an Art Deco influence. I was really uh, very, very interested in Art Deco pieces of all kinds, you know, from cars to pens, to furniture, to houses, everything. So uh, I took some ideas that came from various sources and I drew it up as a guitar and had it made and uh, then a second, then a third, and then I collaborated with uh, Joe Naylor at Reverend Guitars on a couple of different uh, signature Rubido models that they put out, so which is a combination of my Art Deco ideas and their functional ideas. Gotcha. And, and um, so going back to uh, Fleetwood Mac a, a little bit, um, obviously you did uh, a good amount of writing with Stevie Nicks, and even after your time in Fleetwood Mac, you toured with Stevie Solo, right? 
Uh, I didn't hear the last part of your question oh. after writing with Stevie. Yeah, uh, so even after um, your time with Fleetwood Mac, you toured with Stevie Solo for a little while, right? I did one tour with it. It was a Street Angel tour. It was approximately the summer of 1994. So talk to me about co kind of collaborating with her and actually the process of going in and, and writing with Stevie. How was that? Was that like natural for you? Um, how are how how your guys' relationship together? Well, you know, even then when I was a, a, a member of the band, it was kind of hard to pin Stevie down because she kind of traveled, traveled in her own world. She has a solo career and she has her own friends, blah, blah, blah. So what I did was I um, I started the song and then I brought bring the, the song that just was in its infancy to her. And then she would write lyrics to the track that I had. And then, you know, I would, if I had suggestions for lyrics or if I'd started lyrics, she would build, build on that. And so uh, in the end, that's how we collaborated. It wasn't like we sat down from scratch and, you know, we're going to hammer out a song here now. It's, I would start the song and she would help finish it. Yeah. And uh, and you performed you uh, you participated in the Tango in the Night World Tour with uh, with Fleetwood also I mean yeah. how was the experience on that tour um, going I mean traveling to all the different places that you you hit I mean you hit so many different countries in in that time and um, and it must have been kind of surreal for you right Yeah it was it was um, well the lucky thing for me was I had just done a whole year on tour with Bob Seger so I was playing all these the same giant halls that I would return to the next the following year with Fleetwood Mac and my chops were up and you know so I that it wasn't really like going from semi-obscurity or small clubs to the big stage I had I just finished doing a year of the big stages and the big crowds and such so it was really good in that respect but but I, I was instantly catapulted into a, a higher degree of fame because of my association with them, uh, you know, that I had experienced before just working for various artists I worked with. Here was, here was, was uh, different because I was actually a member of the band. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, the, the thing that we were all worried about was that um, it was going to be accepted, it's just going to work. Well, we knew it would work musically because uh, that was obvious. But we didn't know until we started traveling and doing gigs whether or not fans would like it, but they did. And uh, there was never, never an occasion where I was not treated really, really well by Friedman Mac fans. No, no episodes of somebody calling out for Lindsay or any of that crap. Yeah. It was all a really good, positive experience, and people just accepted it that uh, this was part of the, the transition and the evolution of the band, you know, which had been, you know, in the past that had done it many times. Yeah. Were you, were you nervous about that going in uh, to Fleetwood Mac, that there would be this kind of lashback? Well, I, I wouldn't say I was nervous. I was just, you know, there was a certain degree of, oh, uh, well, let's wait and see how, you know, what's going to happen. We don't really know. But it wasn't paranoia or yeah. like, any fear. Yeah. And... And so you mentioned Bob Seger. You've worked with Bob for decades at this point now. Um, and so talk to me about the the relationship with Bob and how you went into that um, and how you guys kind of, con you know, are continuing to work together uh, so many years later. Well, 
Well, you know, it's not as close a relationship as it may sound, the way you just described it. Um, somebody uh, recommended me to Bob when he was looking for somebody to uh, do some guitar parts on some tracks he had in 85, I think it was. And uh, so I went in, and the first thing that, that he put up was uh, his track to a song called Like a Rock. And, uh, and I suggested the slide guitar, and he didn't want to do it at first. I said, well, just give me one pass, because I think I've got some lines here that, that'll work, you know. And we got that solo on the first take, and so they were very impressed with that, and I wound up doing the whole album, and then I wound up doing the tour, and then he's called me, I think, for most of his records since then, to at least come in for one or two songs. But my personal relationship with him is uh, uh, not... It's 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 not really uh, you know close or anything like that. We're, we're just friendly. Yeah. Put it that way. And I never did any more touring with him after that. He's uh, always gotten somebody else. So uh, go figure. I know, right? And so um, so that like a rock being so kind of iconic. Um, I mean, is that something that just it just kind of came when you heard the lyrics and yeah and uh, and is that something that you can kind of reproduce that. I mean, the magic that kind of went into uh, that song later, or um, is it just kind of its thing on its own that's, you know, in the in the ether of uh, of classic rock music? Well, I'm, I'm sorry, you know, I'm, I'm in a space where you're not really super clear, so I didn't really understand yeah. that question. It's a, it's, a, it's, it's a question of I can't hear you that well. So if you could say that again slow. Yeah, no, no worries. Um, I was asking about kind of the um, uh, how you kind of approach that song um, and and how and kind of the impact of that song and kind of creating that the magic of that song um, kind of as you go forward in your in your own career. Is that something that uh, that it just kind of fit at the time, or how do you um, how do you kind of try and uh, take that magic and, and spread it into other work that you do? Well, you know, nobody was thinking magic when they put the track up, and I certainly wasn't thinking magic. I was just thinking, let me get what I do onto this track, you know, and it just happens to be a, a good marriage of, of the sound I was using at the time and, and what I was capable of playing. And then I think, you know, it being a, a TV commercial that ran for 10 years adds to the, you know, the magical part of it or the, you know, the classic nature of the song. I, I don't know that it would be so. I, I, I remember people hearing it at the time and, and saying that they thought it was really special. And, you know, I didn't know that at the time. Now I, I come to agree that it's a you know it's a real classic song and, and it was you know some of my best playing. You know, just but you know I, everything I every every song I play on I try to bring something that fits the song and and you get varying degrees of effectiveness it may just be that the you know that, that was a strong song and it was it, maybe it wouldn't have been as strong a song if that particular solo wasn't on it i don't know yeah so, so I want to ask you a little bit about your experience kind of with uh, blues music in, in general. I've talked to um, a good handful of blues artists, and um, and kind of the feel I get is there's a, a level of improv to um, to blues. Is that is that your experience, or how do you kind of envision... A level of what? Im, uh, improvisation. Oh, 
to, to blues? Yeah. And so is that kind of your experience with blues as well? Or how do you, uh, how do you look at uh, uh, blues music? Well, it's definitely improvisational. I mean, that's been my whole approach to, to the guitar from the beginning, because I don't need music and, you know, it's all what I hear and that, that little magical connection to, to uh, instinct, you know, that takes over. And you, you developed your technique, of course, but you don't rely uh, just on technical playing to get that across. You have to be in the moment, and that's the artistic expression of it. And, you know, uh, I don't know if I spent a lot of time learning to read music or learning theory or anything like that, if I would play the same way. So I've always just avoided it, and I've just tried to make it my own experience. And uh, I think playing that, that blue, the blues style uh, it's a good avenue for expression like jazz is. That's why they say jazz came from blues because, you know, you don't really play the song the same way twice necessarily. I, I try not, I try to do something different every time I play the songs we play with Nick every night, you know? So it's always it's evolving and changing and uh, that's the essence of the artistic experience of playing blues for me. Yeah. And... Um, talking about Mick, you also partnered with him on um, the Island Rumors band as well. Kind of, what's your approach? What, what is the approach for both of you between uh, the two bands? Kind of, how do they differ for you guys? Well, the original concept is Island Rumors was supposed to be a mixture of Fleetwood uh, Mac music from the different eras and combining that with music from Hawaii as played and performed by uh, local Hawaiian musicians. That's how it started out. And uh, so we had several uh, local players and musicians like Raya Helm and uh, Willie Kay and the Barefoot Natives who were a part of the group for, you know, different periods of time. But, uh, you know, the idea was to play a lot in Hawaii and do uh, corporate shows and such and see where it went. Well, it, it, we found that it didn't really, there wasn't enough support. We occasionally do an Island Rumors Band gig. But uh, the emphasis these days is much more on the Fleetwood Blues band. Gotcha. And, and you uh, obviously have your own solo career as well. Um, your most recent album is Mojo On My Side, right? That's right. And, yeah. And so, um, so when you, I've, I know you kind of like playing your own material um, above playing um, others. Kind of, how, what is your approach when you go in on your own? Do you like to produce your own uh, material, or do you um, like? collaborating with others to kind of get a different perspective on your on your material well so far i really haven't met anybody who who came to me and said geez i really understand completely where you're at and i think i can do something on you that's great so i that's why i do it myself uh, and in doing it that way for the last 15 20 years i've gained a style i think and then you know i i have a certain technique of the way i record things and uh, you know uh it, it would be kind of fun to, to work with a producer sometime if I ever met somebody who, you know, who I felt was a strong producer and had some novel ideas to take, you know, to do a concept record with, you know, slightly different than the way I usually do it. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I enjoy doing my own thing. And it's, it's not too much of a departure from what I do with Mick, to tell you the truth. It's kind of in the same vein. And so these days, uh, I. I get bookings at festivals uh, and try and concentrate on uh, 
USA and Canada, but I often go to, to Europe and uh, the UK and um, wherever wherever the bookings are available. Wherever the road takes you. And um, so do you like producing other bands as well, or do you kind of stick mostly to your own stuff and the stuff that you're um, kind of familiar with? Well, I, you know, I do enjoy it if I if I really like the artist. Uh, I haven't had too much opportunity to do that. I've, I uh, produced something on a rockability uh, artist named Rosie Flores. That's getting to be a long a long while ago now. Uh, I I signed a girl to my own production company from Wales, who was a good singer, but it turned out that she had more personal problems that were. <laughs> that were conducive to success, uh, you know, then, so we had to abandon that project. But if I hear somebody I really like and I feel like I can do something with them, uh, I, yes, I do enjoy it because I like being in the studio and working on songs and, and arrangements and such. Okay. And, and so you have a couple nights left um, on the uh, tour with Mick Fleetwood Blues Band. Um, what's your uh, plan for after uh, that tour ends? Do you have some of your own solo dates you're, you're planning on doing or uh, going to get in, back into uh, not, writing? Yeah, it's not so much dates that I have lined up as I have a, I've started a, a, a new recording on myself. And so uh, I'm, I've gotten a really good foothold onto that. So it's a, it's a question now finishing it and uh, mastering it. And then uh, I do have some... Two, two different labels that are very interested in hearing it, so we'll see if we can't get another release out by uh, January, February of next year. Excellent. And then um, my last uh, real question for you, Rick, is um, what are some of the, the biggest hurdles that you've had to um, overcome in your musical career? What are some of the biggest kind of roadblocks that you've seen that have challenged you? Well, some, you know, I'd have to say that it's, you know, due to the nature of the music business, uh, it's not always a consistent business. So you have good months, bad months, sometimes good years and bad years. And you have to be able to weather those storms. And uh, so, uh, you know, it, it's, it hasn't been a situation where I've, I've always been able to depend on this or that to come through when I needed it to. So um, there's that part of it. The music business itself has changed so much that uh, it's kind of unclear sometimes to know how to define it anymore as it applies to you. Uh, you know, uh, the kind of music I do, what I'm best at, is not really what's popular uh, in, in, in the big scale of things. So um, you're constantly having to reinvent yourself. I'd say early early on, one of the biggest obstacles was just uh, trying to find yourself, trying to find the confidence to uh, to put forth something that was, uh, you know, original and, and of a high nature, you know, of uh, good quality stuff. So uh, I think, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a late bloomer. All the best things that happened to me kind of happened later on. Uh, even though I was working with some great artists all along, I think the, what I did with those artists was really much better, say, from my late 30s on to now. Yeah. Is, is that the same is that the same sort of advice that you would give to young artists that are trying to to break through? Obviously, like you mentioned, I mean, times have really changed in music over the past decades um, and where we are yeah. now. I can't say anything about the changes because they take place without our control. So yeah. the main thing is to just 
just try to understand it and try to be original. And the main, the main thing is to never give up. Don't give up. Excellent. Well, Rick, thank you for uh, taking the time to, to chat today. Definitely appreciate it. And um, good luck on the rest of the tour as well. Good question. Thanks a lot, Steve. Nice, nice meeting you. Hi, this is Rick Vito out on tour with the Nick Fleetwood Blues Band, and you're listening to Concerts Pipeline. Thanks again to Rick Vito for taking the time to chat with Concert Pipeline. Uh, I'll tell you, Jens, we've had a, a good handful of bl- blues artists on the program this year, and really, I've enjoyed uh, talking to them. I've enjoyed learning about their music and kind of their upbringing, and they're really, I mean, the, uh, blues artists really have a good history in music uh, that I, I just love to hear about and, and talk to them about and get, and get their stories. It's really cool. Absolutely, yeah. Um, yeah. And I remember, you know, some of the artists we've we've spoken with, they, um, you know, some of them have a, a common theme, and that's the, um, you know, their experience with, uh, you know, what music was like back in the day, and how much has changed today, and um, you know how the how the blues is is real music. You know, it's it's, it's real, it's real music. It's real, man. It's real. Yeah. It's real. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, it, that it is, and uh, and so it's it's pretty cool. Check out uh, the uh, the Mick uh, Mick Fleetwood Blues Band. Excuse me. Uh, to kind of just stumble through that a little bit, but check out the Mick Fleetwood Blues Band uh, and their and their album because it's a it's a lot of fun. So. Say that fast two times. I will not do that. <laughs> I couldn't say it slow. So. <laughs> uh, well, awesome yeah. interview. And uh, what time is it now, Steve? I think it's time for some music news. All right. Um, I got some stories. Um, Let's see. How about I start this time? I think I always kind of let you start, but... No! Okay, fine. Yeah. Ah, fine. All right, all right. You can start. Yeah, go for it. I'm going to start. I'm going to start. So, um, I don't have any stories about boy bands uh, this time around. Thank God. Uh, but I am going to start with Lady Gaga. A close uh, second. A close second, yes. Um, <laughs> and I'm looking at a picture of her right now, and I would uh, would not have recognized that as, as being Lady Gaga. She's wearing um, some you know, black outfit that shows a lot of skin and another black kind of leather jacket around her. But I don't know her face just doesn't look like Lady Gaga. Anyway, so, uh, this is an article about, um, an upcoming event that she will be partaking in. And I had forgotten that she was asked to do this. Um, Super Bowl. Yes. 2017. She is going to be there. Right. She right. was. So, she she was actually at last year's Super Bowl, if, if you remember correctly. Didn't she do the national anthem? I think she did. I think she did the national anthem at the last year's Super Bowl. She yes. didn't. But she's going to be doing the halftime show. She's she's been promoted up to the, the halftime show. At this yeah, point. yeah, yeah. That was like her audition, right? right? Okay, national anthem is your audition. You know, if you if you if you arrive and you present yourself well and you don't wear like a meat outfit uh-huh. oh no meat outfit it's off <laughs> no meat outfit then yeah okay well we'll consider you for the main event uh-huh. next year so i guess she passed the audition she did not wear a meat outfit and did not outfit. wear a meat outfit was presentable um 
you know, and maybe her work with Bennett, you know, helped her image out a little bit. And you speak about her recognizability, like when at first for the uh, when she did the national anthem, I couldn't, I didn't really recognize her either. I'm not a Gaga fan or anything, um, and but I feel like she has this. I mean, without all of her above and beyondness that is Lady Gaga, I feel like you know she actually kind of looks like a normal person that that doesn't have her own individual standout-ish look like you can you can see some people and you're like okay that's uh bruce springsteen that's beyonce that's kanye you could right i mean you you know who these people are instantly right. um, yeah. in any uh, environment but without all of her um charades it's she kind of just looks like a normal pop star exactly yeah 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 and that's what this picture looks like of her um she's got her dark black glasses on but i mean i would have i would have looked at her thinking oh that's a pop star an actress or something but I mean, I, it doesn't look like Lady Gaga. Okay. So, um, anyway, she's going to showcase her guts and talent, quote-unquote. Um, and, um, you know, she's going to be joining the likes of, you know, Beyonce and uh, who else have we seen? Prince. Um, Prince, the who? yes. Coldplay, Bruno yes. Mars, U2. Yeah. You know, all sorts of amazing, amazing artists. Um who had the wardrobe malfunction? That was uh, that was Janet. Janet Jackson, right? Yes. Anyway, so it's finally Lady Gaga's turn, and um, to have a wardrobe malfunction, or yeah, to have a wardrobe, maybe, yes. yeah, maybe, maybe. So the thing is, she's saying that she's hoping to give fans an entirely uh, something entirely new during her performance this year. So when I hear something like that, um, you know, that kind of goes with Lady Gaga because she's always trying to reinvent herself or something, you know, give people something new. I'm just kind of cringing because I hope it's not something new and disgusting. Yes. I hope it's new you, and You don't you don't want awesome fluids coming out of cool. your television, right? No, I don't want to be like, oh God, I gotta, you know, let me leave and come back in half an hour when this right. is done. <laughs> uh -huh. yeah. Anyway, so it's kind of a hit and miss with me for Lady Gaga. Sometimes I'm impressed, sometimes I'm disgusted, so whatever Indeed. and when it all comes down to it she definitely makes the news she does it, it, it'll be interesting um yeah so anyway i guess she wants to push the envelope yes. uh next you are up okay and my first story is going to tie in with our guest that is on the program today uh stevie nicks's ellen performance is streaming online she performed her 1981 classic edge of 17 on uh the ellen show on october 3rd and a video from the program is available to view um she's promoting her upcoming north american tour uh with the pretenders which will begin in phoenix october 25th she says she's really excited to be able to be on the road with another band uh, and have uh, have it be chrissy hine uh, wow yeah um so uh, so it's fantastic and um and so you can check that out uh, I'm not sure if she's having a date here. Let me um, look that up. I did not do that pr uh, pr uh, prep work in, in advance. Chrissy Hines uh, and the Pretenders. Uh, um, but uh, but yeah, we talked about Stevie and um, uh, with um, with Rick and um, and writing with her and and uh, touring with her even after uh, Fleetwood Mac a little bit and that sort of thing. Yeah. So this kind of fits in. Yeah, there's a. It kind of fits in. I remember we were talking about. Um, Stevie and was it the previous podcast or before that? Uh, mm -hmm. I think I read some music news on that regarding her regret 
for her cocaine use right. and stuff. Yes, yes. Uh, yeah. And uh, and so Stevie's going to be playing uh, in Sacramento at the Golden One Center on December 13th and in San Jose at the SAP Center, the Sharks Rink, um, on December 14th. So oh, cool. a cu- couple of local dates there for, uh, for Stevie as well. Well, that's an awesome band, and she's definitely um, uh, an incredible talent. Totally. You're up, sir. Okay, so I would need to talk about Dolly Parton. I don't think I've ever talked about Dolly Parton before. This is the third female artist story in a row, by the way, in case you're keeping track at home. It so. was? Oh, well, no. oh, yeah. It's good. Go for, go for it. I'm not keeping track. Um, anyway, so Dolly Parton um, is an icon, right? Yes. So <laughs> I just had to share this story because, um, you know, I don't – I've. I don't know much about Dolly Parton other than, you know, she has been around forever and she's this great, you know, um, uh, country success story and has quite the history. But I always thought she was sweet and, you know, um, you know, lovely and all these things. So I have to read this article about how she threatened to shoot someone <laughs> because I would, have, I would have never associated a headline to a news story like that with Dolly Parton. So, um, but in Dolly Parton's defense, I think this is 100% justified because this guy um, not only mistook her for a prostitute once, but would not, was relentless and would not stop until he kind of had his way. So she says, this guy came up to me and he was really going to have his way with me. And he kept coming on to me. He thought I was for sale. And then she continues, I kept putting him off, and he just kept on going. Yeah, right. So what does she do? Well, she pulls out her gun and uh-huh. says, if you touch me one more time, I can't do this in a Dolly Parton accent, but okay. anyway, work, work with me here. Don't, just if, don't even do that. Thank you. If you touch me one more time, I'm going to change you from a rooster to a hen. <laughs> that, was great. that didn't sound like Dolly Parton at all. That was great. I'm glad you practiced that. that one. Dolly Parton voice, and that's funny i'm going to change you yeah. from a rooster to a hen so anyway really she, she found herself in a bad situation happened to have her you know line of defense with her um and it made it made the news so um so i'm not supporting guns here at all but uh, good job dolly parton for getting yourself out of a tight spot yeah way to protect yourself carry yeah um uh, good to carry great <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway that's dolly Yes. Uh, my next story yeah, is about Disturbed. Um, Disturbed frontman David Draymond has defended streaming services and says that the real villains are fans who thinks it's okay to illegally download music. Spotify, Apple, and YouTube have come under fire from various rock stars in recent months, some of whom claim the streaming services do not pay artists a fair share. Uh, Nikki Six and his band 6AM took a particularly strong stance against YouTube and launched a campaign to pressure the Google-owned company into paying musicians more for the right to host their music. Um, and uh, earlier this year, uh, it was claimed that a uh, songwriter would need 288 million Spotify streams of their work to earn the average salary of a Spotify Spotify employee. Wow. So, uh, yeah, wow. that's a uh, that's a lot, right? Yeah. Bands might as well might as well start working at Spotify. To, right. <laughs> exactly. Rather than exactly. expect to make money uh, from at that. Least, so at least part time. Yeah. But, wow, but, that's but, crazy. But Draymond kind of believes anger is directed at the wrong targets and the piracy is the root of the entire problem. 
Uh, he told the Josta Show, the industry is creepingly slow, slowly towards uh, finally making this whole digital concept a little bit more transparent. Um, and uh, he says that uh, pe people are very quickly uh, quick to dism um, d demonize streaming services. Spotify um, and entities like it were uh, created to directly combat piracy. Piracy is the issue, and that's what people are forgetting. It's almost like the media is putting t uh, so much hype on these uh, paltry royalty rates when in truth at least there is a royalty rate so they get nothing from people stealing music nothing not even a Crazy. fraction of a penny so does that sound right i don't know i, I think money's in the touring and merch sell, sales yeah it's gotta be huh that's just support for yeah. it you know you, you buy albums at the show i think they're gonna get a lot more money but i just don't even know what to do with a cd anymore at this point right yeah, I know. I've got all these CDs. Um, do you remember the warehouse music? I do. Warehouse music. You know, I used to, a um, little tidbit about me, I used to work there mm. a long time ago, a long time ago, back when record stores had, I was going to say records, but that's not true, back when record stores had tapes and CDs. Yes. Um, I worked at the warehouse for a short mm. period of time. Um but um, what I must say was that uh, I sold, out of all the uh, CDs I bought, you know, while I was an employee at various music stores, um, I sold at the warehouse back when they had, you know, their, um, their cash for CDs thing. You could bring in and, you know, they would value the, the yeah. CDs yeah, and give you money a for it. a couple bucks or something, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so I had the music collection in iTunes. That might have been... I think that was back before the iTunes store. You know, I think iTunes version one, version two, version three, or whatever. Um, I imported a lot of that music and, um, and sold and all the CDs. Listened off, to it right? at home. Exactly. I didn't need the CDs. They were taking up space. I was trying to be minimalistic, and I just yeah. didn't want them anymore. So it was a good way to kind of get some money back. Okay, um, you got more to contribute on that, or can I that's, move on to the, my next? That's the story. Hit it. That's the story. Okay. Um, so what you'll, uh, Steve? Okay, uh, you sitting down. I am currently sitting down. You're sitting down. Okay, so um, what you're going to love to hear and what all what the audience is going to love to hear is that my next story is not about a woman. Ooh, okay. Yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm mixing it up a little bit, changing genders. You're changing You're changing genders or the story I'm, is changing? No, not personally. Uh, okay, because I didn't know not, if this was a concert no, pipeline exclusive or... No, not personally. Okay. But I am uh, going to talk about a guy, a famous guy. Uh, who apparently moved fans to tears recently in Los Angeles at a book signing. So, Bruce Springsteen uh, is arguably, of course, the best in rock history at creating a sense of intimacy with fans. So I didn't really know this about him, but I guess um, I guess you can kind of you feel that you know through his music. Uh, I'm not a huge Bruce Springsteen fan, but um, certainly have a lot of appreciation for him. So for the past five decades, he's made fans, um, even the biggest stadiums, feel as if he's speaking just with them, right? So he tries to, um, you know, establish this, this sense of uh, connectivity with, with his audience. Um, so there's this huge bond, and um, apparently uh, he made people cry at his book signing. Oh. Isn't that sweet? That is. That is. And, and, I, and I think that's in a good way. I don't think he was, you know, punching people. Oh, you know, that is slightly better to... Yes. I don't think there was any violence involved here. Yeah. Because yeah. he, he can be pretty violent. Yeah. This happened... Um, he's done several book signings. Uh, this one in particular was um, in Los Angeles at the Grove at Barnes Noble. Um, fans have been lining up and even sleeping on the sidewalk 
just to see him and uh, get their book signed. It's a long time to wait. Like, I mean, that I'm looking. It's a long time to wait. I mean, yeah, I remember waiting that long for concert tickets back before you couldn't buy concerts yeah, on the internet. When you, had to buy the internet. At, when you had to buy them at the warehouse, right? At yeah. the warehouse or Ticketmaster. Yeah. yeah, I was always lining up at Ticketmaster. I did that. Um, so, what am I talking about? Uh, Tower Records. Yeah. 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 So, um, anyway, his book, Born to Run, people were super excited about it. That's a, that's a good story. I'm glad people uh, got enjoyment out of that. So. Yeah, cool. Yeah. He's a legend. He's the boss. Yeah. So we have a couple more stories. I have one more. I think you have one more, and then we'll wind this show out. Um, and uh, so my story is really not so much of a story. You get some of these stories that are like, hmm, is that really a story? This is one of those that's not, you know, no news is the news is sort of thing. And that's about Tool. They've issued a warning to fans about negative energy surrounding the long wait for the follow-up to their 2006 album, 10,000 Days. Uh, despite recent uh, recent comments from members and friends that the record is slowly coming together, many followers have expressed frustration at the time it's taking it's taking too long, Maynard. Um, and um, now the band have spoken out via webmaster Blair McKenzie. They get their webmaster to uh, to tell everybody because they can't do it themselves. Uh, in a recent online newsletter, saying when it comes to the subject of the new Tool album, even though those who has negative thoughts uh, and actions are in the small minority, their negative attitudes are having consequences that extend far beyond the next Tool record. You guys are making it really tough for us to make a record. Okay, come on, we're trying here. God. <laughs> Their hostile behavior and small-minded opinions are not helping in bringing about the next Tool record. They're also not fooling anyone by saying that they're tired of waiting and jump and jumping ship, or they've had enough and are over this band. I know they'll come back. They will come back, okay? We're going to make a new album one day, and they're going to come back. They're, you know, they say they won't, but they will. All right. I believe them. <laughs> so that, that's Tool, really, right, right now, is they're <laughs> focusing too much on fan reactions and not on doing what they need to be doing apparently to make it, to make like, to so please it sounds like. their fans so yeah yeah ah uh, crazy yeah yeah All so right. make it make the album already come on it's time yeah it's been a decade uh, uh seriously it's been that long 2006 was their last album no way! I've never seen them in you, concert. You, of all people, know how long twenty years is, and ten years is half of that. So, yeah, ten years is half of that. Yeah. yeah. But you know what? When that comes, when that album is released, people will be like, "Oh man, I feel like it was just yesterday when they came out came out with the album and, that they came out with ten years ago." Yeah, and maybe they'll right, do a, rec- rec- a recreation vi- uh, photo or something of their previous yes. album cover. Uh-huh. It'll be just like that, except be there'll great. be one thing missing. Yes. <laughs> the album the album apparently is what we'll be missing <laughs> the album <laughs> right okay look <clears throat> you know everything looks exactly the same except oh there's no CD in this oh, thing oh we <laughs> thought we did it <laughs> look I could buy it on iTunes there's a link but oh uh, no it doesn't uh, exist it's not clickable yeah okay so hey can I tell my Kane West story now his name is Kanye fool whatever Kanye West good god so Kanye West, um, isn't there a guy named Kane too? Uh, there's a band named Keen, I think. Kanye, but, but, okay, but we're talking about Kanye. Kanye, yeah. Kanye West. Your so, wife is obsessed with Kim Kardashian. You, yes, you should know who this Kanye is. Actually, is. partially a Kim Kardashian. Yes. A newsflash. Um, so yeah, so Kanye West. You know what? I know nothing about this guy except for the fact that he was really mean to Taylor Swift once. You had it well. Then. 
And ever since then, <laughs> I've not been a fan. So um, Kanye West, but I've got to say kudos to him for this. Um, ends his Meadows set after Kim got robbed at gunpoint. Boo! Boo. Poor Kim. So this happened inside of a hotel, inside of her Paris hotel room of all places. So there were two armed robbers. They were dressed. Who's there? Robber. Come on in. Robber who? (laughs) (laughs) Gonna rob you. So there were two armed robbers dressed as cops. Crazy, you know? Here you are. You think you're safe because there are police and boom, they're just robbers. And of all people, they're going to rob Kim. So um, anyway, I'm saying kudos to Kanye not Kane, because um, he stopped the show. Get this. So um, he abruptly ended his headlining performance at the debut Meadow Music and Arts Festival in Queens, New York, uh, on Sunday. And he told the audience, hey, I'm sorry, there's a family emergency, I've got to stop the show. And he uh, left... Um, to go help out his wife. Did anybody throw anything at him? That's what I'm wondering because... Did anyone throw anything at him? Uh, Not that I can tell. No, maybe, but the article doesn't say anything. It just says he was performing Heartless at the time um, and then he had to leave the stage for about 45 minutes and he came back and gave his explanation to the crowd. Um, Then the organizers came out, they addressed the crowd shortly thereafter words um, informing them that the rapper had left. Uh, you know, and he explained due to a family emergency, he had to go. He was forced to end the set early. There was nothing about anything being thrown. No, maybe, but wasn't reported. Yeah. Uh, says the so. Has that has that happened before? Uh, I, you know, he stirs up a lot of emotion in people, and uh, and so that. I could see that happening, and people not knowing what's going on, and just waiting a long time to see him live and then he just up and leaves really just saying gotta go sorry bye have uh, thank, uh, you all for, thank you all for coming right so doesn't feel like it yeah that's um, kind of like a little bit like um um one of our favorite guys um who we've been talking about a lot who uh shows up super super late to his concerts you know where people have to wait two three hours long axel uh, yeah we haven't talked about him we haven't talked about him in a while no no new stories on axel right now so it's he's sitting in the uh in the back seat so (laughs) well hopefully kim's okay and uh, i'm sure that whole thing really shook her up you know pretty badly but hopefully uh you know she wasn't physically hurt or anything but hopefully she'll recover eventually. yeah it sounds like yeah just she just has some trauma she's gonna have to deal with you know nothing yeah. a little money can't fix right right so, yes exactly. all right uh great story ends good good music news segment i dig it and good 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 um and yeah and again uh thank you to rick Vito for being on the on the podcast today great to chat with him uh we don't have another band lined up right now but uh there's a chance we might be interviewing third eye blind we'll we'll see we'll see so um i'm going to be taking off uh on a plane uh for the next week or so so nothing on the uh, immediately on the forefront uh i'll be in washington dc are we going to do a live show from washington dc maybe you can um 
we can do a podcast uh, over there. Oh, I trust me. I, I, I threw it to my mom because Bad Religion is going to be playing over there on there. Uh-huh. I'm like, it would be cool to cover about uh, a show on the there other East Coast. She's I like, still listen to those guys. No, no, we're not your babysitters because I'm taking the kids and stuff too. Mm-hmm. No, you're not going to any concert, uh, you know, sort of thing. So you got to work them. You yeah. got to work them. You know, they'll, they'll come around. Right. Yeah. Not going to come around. No. Yeah. So, uh, so no, probably not. Although that that would be fun. The last time. I, the last time I went across the, the country, I did cover uh, some shows. That was like a decade ago. Um, but I that's when I interviewed George Thorogood and then La Bamba from the Conan O'Brien mm-hmm. show. So I did, I did some of that while I was back east last time, but um, but not this time. So, oh, well. All right. Yeah. Well, Steve, um, you've got some big times ahead of you here. That's going to be a big trip. Can't wait to hear all about it when you get back. Yes, yes. Uh, more to, More to come on that. So... Uh, for all of us here at Concert Pipeline, that is Jen Schiphol. And that is Sir Stephen Jones. I've been knighted now, have I? You've been knighted. <laughs> you wow. have been knighted. Great. You are a scholar and a gentleman, Steve. Excellent. You as well, sir. Uh, go enjoy your yoga roller. I'm going to get on that damn foam roller, yes, man. Yes. Uh, I'm going to get at least five or ten minutes, and then I'm going to hop on that big, huge purple ball. Do it. We'll, yeah. we'll catch you next time.